chapter 2, if you need a Bible, raise your hand. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. Hebrews chapter 2, going through the book of Hebrews, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, starting again in verse 1. Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. For if the word spoken through angels proved steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him. And God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to His own will. Let's pray. Father, we need You, Lord. And Father, how we need to see You at work in our life. How we are so fragile, such fragile creatures, Lord. And, and we need uh, uh, the, just the gift of, of faith, Lord. And, and everything Your grace is... Uh, is, is about. Your word says that your grace is exceedingly abundant at work in us. And Lord, how we need that. And Lord, we come here today as a, just a family of believers. Just wanting to just drink it all in. Your grace. Your mercy. Everything that you are, Lord. Your, your holiness. Your justice. Father, I, I just pray for us this morning, open up our hearts, minds, ears, and eyes to you, Lord, in the name of Jesus, amen. Okay, you can be seated. Last week, we finished up by talking about how so very important it is that we don't neglect, that we don't make light of, that we don't treat as a small thing the great and awesome salvation of the Lord. Hebrews 2.3 says, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? We talked about that. And so what is this salvation? Well, we talked about that as well. We've talked about that actually several times as, uh, since we've been in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 answers the question, what is this salvation? It says, Jesus, who being the brightness of God's glory and the express image of God's person, upholding all things by the word of his power, when he by himself, meaning that Jesus got no help whatsoever from any of us, completely, totally, absolutely on his own, by himself, it says he purged our sins, meaning he wiped away our sins. He gave us a clean slate. Prior to God's salvation, our life was like a slate, a gigantic white board uh, covered with thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, dark, ugly, pock marks, blights on our life, pock marks of sin. But Jesus says, by himself, chapter 1, verse 3, purged our sins. Though your sins are red as scarlet, he made them white as snow. It says in the book of Isaiah, looking forward to the time when Jesus would do just that through his great salvation. Now, what is this great uh, salvation uh, from? Hebrews chapter 2, verse 3 talks about a great salvation. So what Jesus, we just read that he purged our sins. He wiped away 
He, he wiped the giant whiteboard absolutely clean. What are we saved from? The Bible says salvation from death and eternal destruction. Jesus by himself on the cross became a substitute for us. He suffered the punishment that we had earned and deserved. Verse 3 continues of chapter 1 says, After he purged our sins, describing this great salvation and accomplishment, it says, Then he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Meaning the salvation, it was finished. What had to be done to complete it? to do it, to accomplishment. It was finished, it was complete, it was done. The last thing Jesus said on the cross were the words, it is finished or it is done. It is the Greek word tetelestai, uh, which was at the time a commercial Greek term. It was, uh, literally means paid in full. If you had a bill representing something that you owed, money that you owed someone for something, and you paid that bill in full, the word tetelestai was stamped on it, paid in full. What did Jesus pay in full? The judgment that belonged to you and me. And so he, he, he ends his, his life on earth with those words, it is done, it is finished. Everything that needed to be done in order to purchase a place in heaven for you, he paid for. All the work needed to be done for us to have a relationship with God, not only in this life, but forever. All of it, done, finished, accomplished. Jesus lived, the Bible says, a perfect life. Hebrews 4.14 says, In all points he was tempted as we are, yet without sin. Meaning he lived a perfect life. Meaning he was tempted in every, tempted in every way that we were. But he overcame the temptation, the Bible says. He says he gave his life for us a ransom for many. To tell us to I paid in full the last words of Jesus after he by himself purged our sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Ephesians chapter 2 said that we, by our nature, are children of wrath, living as enemies of God. I know that described my life prior to Christ. Uh, I can tell you that. Ephesians 2.4 says, though, that, though we lived as children of wrath, it says, God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loves us even when we were dead in our sins made us alive together in Christ. What a great salvation. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 3 says, Whatever you do, do not neglect it. We are crazy to neglect so great a salvation is, is, is what it says. Do not neglect it. And so uh, Hebrews uh, chapter 2, uh, verse 3. It goes on to say in verse 3 there, it says, uh, How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord? So this great salvation was first spoken of by Jesus. Now, we, do, we did read in Hebrews 1, verse 1, that in the Old Testament, prophets pointed the way, uh, to the Savior, they pointed the way to that he was coming, but Jesus himself was the first to declare that it was available to everyone now. And, that, and that's what it means when it says uh, in verse 3, where it says, and at the first it began to be spoken uh, by the Lord. This great uh, salvation uh, spoken by Jesus. He was the first to, to say, this is available now, John 3.16 says, that speaking of this great salvation, he declared, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not die but have eternal life. In Matthew 10.39, uh, speaking of this great salvation, Jesus declared, he who finds his life will lose it and he who loses his life for my sake 
will find it. In Matthew eleven twenty eight. he says, uh, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. In Matthew chapter 12, the Pharisees complaining about how uh, to Jesus that his disciples were working on the Sabbath. They were complaining about that. And Jesus responded to them in Matthew 12, verse 5. He said, have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath the priests work on the Sabbath yet are blameless? Yet I say to you in this place, referring to himself, there is a one greater than the temple. Greater than the temple? What? You must be kidding. to, To the Jew, the temple was everything. It was everything to them. And this man is saying he's greater than the temple. Yes, he was doing just that. Man needs a very great salvation, and this one is among you now. In that same chapter of Matthew 12, it says that a man was brought to Jesus, demon-possessed, blind, and mute, meaning he could not uh, speak. We can only in our wildest dreams, imagine the suffering that that man was under every single day. He was demon-possessed. He was blind, and he couldn't speak. In Matthew 20, uh, 12, 22, it says, Jesus healed him. Verse 23 says, the multitude was amazed. And they said, could this be the son of David? Meaning, th- could this be our great salvation? When the Pharisees heard this, they said, this man does not cast out demons except by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. And what did Jesus say? He said, if Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. In other words, this great salvation declared by the prophets, I'm telling you, you're looking at it face to face. This great salvation, as it says in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 3, was first spoken by the Lord himself. We had just read how Jesus himself speaking about this great salvation. And so verse 3 continues. It says, and was confirmed. So it was first spoken by the Lord. Then it says, and was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God, verse 4, also bearing witness both with signs and wonders, with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. Okay, so last week I really, really, really wanted to get to this verse. But I ran out of time. Happens all the time. I ran out of time, but it, it really is was supposed to be connected to my message last week. Um, But anyway, I'll do my best this morning. Uh, At the end of verse 3 again, it says, God's great salvation was first spoken by the Lord and that was confirmed to us by those who heard him. And then again here in verse 4, it says that God also bearing witness, meaning God confirmed the truth of this great salvation He demonstrated that his great salvation was true. How? With signs and wonders, with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his will. So what it's saying there is that this great salvation and the truth of it and the fact that it is the one true salvation, what God did to confirm that this was really true, uh, he... um, confirmed that it was really true by signs and wonders and miracles. Now, last week I read from an article written by a man named Matthew Paris, who grew up in uh, Africa, in Malawi. He uh, grew up firsthand, uh, seeing the devastation in that country from poverty, from disease, from superstition, from corruption. And for years and years, he observed attempts to bring relief to this country that he grew up in. But the article, uh, but in the article, uh, he, he declares loud and clear that, you know, there was one program that growing up 
just stood out more than any other, and to this day, it still is, uh, stands out more than any other. It's the renewal brought to Africa by evangelical, born-again Christianity. And so in his article in the London Times, it says the problem with Africa, that as he saw it, uh, as one growing up in Africa and born in Africa, was that the Africans were not willing to face the enormous problems that plagued them. They needed a heart change, and Christianity did that. And I'm quoting now from this article, Matthew Paris writes, in Africa, Christianity changes people's hearts, uh, brings spiritual transformation. The rebirth is real. The change is good. Faith appears to liberate and relax them. And then he just goes on to say how Christians stand up to evil in the country uh, that must be defeated to bring about the renewal. They resist the evil and they defeat the evil. Now what made the article so remarkable is that he claimed that he himself was an atheist. Uh, Now, I admire him very much for having the courage to write this article, and I'm amazed about this kind of thing being so suppressed by the mainstream media. I'm always amazed. I was amazed after Katrina, all the devastation on the Gulf Coast. There were uh, there were literally ten tent camps, gigantic tent camps with tens of thousands of Christians from all over the country. And, and the one thing that you heard when you were down there, um, it was reported back to us, actually a church went down on four, four times on, on, on outreaches there. The one thing that they heard is we don't see anyone but Christians around here helping us. Where is the government? Well, you didn't read about that. <laughs> but, but anyway, and, and I have a lot of admiration for this man having the courage to just come out and, 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 and say in the article, and the article talked about, if, if you weren't here last week, you can get the CD, just talked about how it, it was just obvious to him that Christ, African Christians were different. They, they were able to look you in the eye. They had an exuberance about them, a radiation about them. They were, 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 were re, re, willing to resist evil uh, and overcome it. And so I, I do have courage for him writing the article, but there was one thing that actually really bothers me about an article uh, like that, and it is this. He, an atheist makes it pretty clear that he has no intention of moving from his uh, beliefs in spite of the enormous effect that he saw in Africa when people embraced Jesus Christ. So his argument really is basically this. Look, I don't believe in Christianity or even God, but it works really, really well. So rather than discourage it, let's support it. And you should have seen the blog of all the people outraged, um, you know, at the suggestion of this. And a lot of other people, though, coming in and saying and cheering them on. And I should say that uh, that, uh, someone who took kept track of the blog said most of the Africans completely supported uh, what he was saying. But um, anyway, though his argument uh, troubles me, uh, I don't believe any of this, but... It works so well, rather than discourage it, we should do everything we can do to support it. Well, you know, years ago I remember teaching um, a Bible study and I asked the people there, I asked everyone at the Bible study, so, real simple question, why are you a Christian? Why are you a Christian? I'd like to do the same thing this morning with, with, with all of you. Why? Why are you a Christian anyway? <laughs> or maybe you're not, so, but if I assume that if you came here this morning, you're at least interested in Christianity, why are you interested in it? So why are you a Christian, or why are you interested in it? I'd like to, you to uh, uh, think about that. So I asked this question at the Bible study years ago, and there were many responses, but all of them more or less responded the same way, because it works. That's what everyone said. I think everyone in the Bible study answered, and they all said more or less the same thing, because it works. 
Well, my response then and my response still is, and I cannot possibly say this more strongly and with more passion, that should never be the reason anyone is a Christian. There is only one reason anyone, anywhere, should be a Christian. And that is, what? Because it's true. Let me tell you, if it's not true, it's not worth being. (laughs) It's real. God is real. Jesus is real. His great salvation is real. It is true. If it's not, I'm just telling you, reject it. Regardless of how much it works, if it's not true, you shouldn't, like Matthew Paris, if you have real integrity, and this is not a slight on him, but you shouldn't be declaring to all the world that they should support it. The only reason you, I, or anyone should give their lives to Jesus Christ is because he is truth. Of course... Well, that leads to another question. How does anyone know it's true? How does anyone know it's true? Well, that's, among other things, what verse 4 of Hebrews chapter 2 is about. How does anyone know it's true? God has borne witness to it, meaning He has made it known that it is true. He has made it known in, a, in a, a loud and clear way that it is true. And I could spend an entire year uh, on the subject of how it is that we know that what we believe in is true. What Jesus calls the way, the truth, the life is really just that. The way, the truth, and the life. But this morning I'm, I'm going to leave you with just two reasons how it is that we can know it is the truth. And, and verse 4 addresses that. But the first reason I'm going to give you is just the Bible. The Bible is a roadmap to truth. Uh, It's a book that provides any man or woman who's willing to read it with an open mind, cover to cover, it gives them, it provides them a road map to truth. We spent a lot of time on the streets of Boston talking to people about the truth. I heard a lot of people say, uh, I reject what you're telling me. And we've also heard a lot of people admit after a few simple questions that they had never seriously read the Bible. Because when you hear people speak with the Bible who reject it so often, when you start asking them, they have the most shallow understanding of what it even teaches, even the most basic understanding. They do not have. And, and so how do we know it's the truth? The Bible, it's a road map to the truth. I remember reading the Bible uh, for the first time. Uh, I mean, really reading it. Um, I, I was 24 years old. It was the most amazing, powerful experience. Uh, uh, it, it, all the pieces of, of the puzzle of life just falling in, into place in the most remarkable, complete, and effective way. Now listen, the thing that made the experience so powerful was everything was grounded in truth, meaning facts, history, Eyewitnesses, proof. At at the time, I was in law school. I liked this stuff. Proof, evidence. And and here it was. It was handing me all this stuff. Um, facts, history, eyewitness, proof. Second Peter uh, chapter one verse sixteen. The Apostle Peter declares, "For we do not follow cunningly devised fa- fables." Meaning, we do not follow made-up stories when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. The Apostle John in 1 John chapter 1, verse 1, referring to Jesus, says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with, with our eyes, which we have looked upon, our eyes, our hands have handled. In other words, he wasn't just a spirit or a ghost. He said the life that was manifested, that 
we have seen, we bear witness to, and that we now declare. How do I know Christianity is true? Reason number one, because of the Bible. That is why there's such a battle over this book. Is because, man, when you read it, it just rings true. It's a history book, a book of facts, a book of God just confirming the truth of him, his son, and his word. So that was reason number one. Reason number two, and this is what Hebrews chapter 2 verse 4 is all about. How do we know that um, what we believe is true, that Christianity is truth, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life? Because God confirms the truth of his great salvation through signs, wonders, and miracles. Couldn't be any clear, verse 4. God also appearing witness, uh, rather God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders, with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 29 and chapters 29 and 35, the prophet Isaiah declared that the Messiah, this great salvation, will be made known uh, because by his hand the blind will see, the lame will walk, lepers will be cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead will be raised. And, And when you read through the gospel, this is what you read about Jesus himself doing. When John the Baptist himself was sitting in prison, he started to doubt. And he sent some representatives to Jesus saying, are, are you the one? Are we supposed to wait for another? And Jesus said, you go back and you tell him, again, the blind are, are, are being given their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are being cleansed, the deaf are hearing, and the dead are being raised. And so, you know, when you look through the Gospels and you read through them, one of the things that you notice is that there are so many accounts of miracles. There's so much dedicated to, the, to that in the Gospels. And so much so that sometimes it's difficult for pastors, uh, particularly pastors who teach chapter by chapter, verse by verse, as we do at Calvary Chapel, It's difficult because, Lord, okay, another miracle or another rash of miracles. I think they get the point, Lord. You know, what else do you want me to say? You know, well, there is a reason the Holy Spirit included all those accounts in the gospel, which, by the way, more and more, I've been a Christian 20 years, it just encourages me to read about the miracles of Jesus. It just does. Uh, But there's a reason the Holy Spirit includes um, all those accounts in the Gospels. God was confirming the great salvation of Jesus Christ, which the prophets foretold, but which was first spoken of, meaning first revealed by Jesus himself. God was confirming who Jesus was through miracles and, and, and through these healings. Now, the ultimate confirmation of God's great salvation was what? What was it? The resurrection. The resurrection. And that is, um, uh, that was the way, that was the, God's way of saying to all the world, my son is the way, he is the truth, he is the life, and I have confirmed that truth by raising him from the dead. And that is why the resurrection is so central to the gospel, the good news. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3, the apostle Paul declares this. By the way, this whole chapter is about the resurrection. We went through it when we were in 1 Corinthians. You don't have to turn there, but I'm going to read from it. Paul uh, declares to the Corinthian church, he says in verse 3 of chapter 15, For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received. Now he's going to go on and just basically state the gospel. That Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. And that he was buried. And that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And that he was seen by Cephas, meaning Peter. Then by the twelve. Verse 6, and that he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom greater, the greater part remain present, 
but some have already fallen asleep, meaning they have died. Verse 7, and after that he was seen by James, and then by all the apostles. In verse 8, then last of all, he was seen by me also as one born out of due time. He was seen. And, and so what happens when a man is brutally mur- murdered uh, on a cross in front of hundreds if not thousands of people stuck in a tomb with a, the Bible says, a, uh, uh, in the, in the, a mega stone put over it, a stone over a ton was put over it. What happens when the stone is removed and that brutally murdered body is raised to life? What happens? He's raised to life after three days, actually just as that same man said would happen. Well, the resurrection was a statement to all the world that Jesus Christ was who he said he was. So again, back in uh, verse 4 of of chapter 2 of Hebrews, again it says, God, you see, he bears witness both with signs and wonders, with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. And so with signs and wonders and miracles operating in the supernatural, God is confirming to all the world that Jesus was who he said he was. So now in verse 4, it does say that the sign and wonders and miracles were not only seen in the life of Jesus, but also by the ones who went out declaring what he had done. It's referring there actually not only to Jesus, who it says the great salvation, he spoke first about the great salvation, but it goes on to say it was confirmed to us by those who heard him. And God confirmed their message with signs, wonders, wonders, and miracles. And so what I want to also emphasize this morning is that this very thing holds true to this day. Now people abuse this kind of verse and they rent out a big center and they say come and see sign and wonders and you know by the way we do want a hundred dollars to come here uh and they have a big basically phony carnival and i say that with fear and trembling i really do but that's what happens but that's not what the bible says is the context of this verse this what's the context of this verse people going out Their word, as they're going out speaking to unbelievers, it says God will confirm what they do with signs and wonders, with moving in their midst. Jesus himself, right before he ascended to heaven, Mark chapter 16, verse 15, said to his disciples, go into all the world's Preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. He who does not believe will be condemned. But these signs will follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. And if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. Now, the important thing to take from these verses is not these individual miracles. It's just the fact that God will move in your midst as you go out and you tell people about Jesus. That's the whole point that Jesus is making. And that's what the, the, the point being made in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 4. And you see this very thing. Right after Jesus declared that in Mark 16, you see this very thing happen in the book of Acts. As they go out... In the book of Acts, it says in Acts 14, verse 3, one example, the apostle Paul is in the Greek city of Iconium, and it says this of Paul and his ministry team, it says this, I love this, therefore they stayed there a long time, speaking boldly in the Lord, who, bearing witness to the word of his grace, granted signs and wonders to be done by their hands. 
So is this about a little cloistered, locked-up room filled with unbelievers where they said, okay, come on, come on, pay your money and we'll see signs and wonders? No. It says he was declaring the word of his grace to unbelievers, and it says sign and wonders followed, is what it says. And you see this throughout the book of Acts, and listen, don't think all this stops 2,000 stopped 2,000 years ago. All this holds true to this very day. God continues to this very day to bear witness with signs and wonders and, and in the supernatural, um, and, and, and he does that to this very day. You know, maybe you're here this morning and you're feeling recently, or maybe you've been feeling for quite some time that the Lord is just so distant, that God seems so distant. Dried up in your spiritual life. Well, I have a question for you, and I'm just going to be Boston blunt with you this morning. When was the last time you went out and boldly talked to anyone about Jesus Christ? When was the last time you totally bolted out of your comfort zone and told someone about this great salvation? I don't ask you this to make you feel condemned. I ask you because of personal experience. I can't tell you how often I've been in a place where Lord is beginning to feel very distant. There's a lack of joy and vitality in my own walk. But I know why. Because I've been living in my own little cave and I've been too ashamed and fearful to tell someone about Jesus. Really easy for me to get up here and tell you about Jesus. Not so easy when I'm out there. Again, what do we read in Acts chapter 14, verse 3? They spoke boldly in the Lord who was bearing witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. So why did they see signs and wonders from the Lord? Because they were speaking boldly about the Lord. You say, oh, that was just the apostle Paul. He had the ability to speak boldly. That's just who he was. He was an apostle. No, uh, Paul was as chicken as you and the rest of us. And, and, and why do you think he pleads with the church in Ephesus in, in chapter 6, verses 18 through 20? He, he says, pray always for me that the words would be given to me that I may open my mouth. Ever hear, ever feel like that? You know, you can't open your mouth. There's too much fear. You have lockjaw. You know, right about as you, as you, you, you know, you feel like you should be, be speaking out the truth and... Paul is pleading with them uh, uh, that that he might uh, that 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 he would have boldness that his mouth may be open to make known the mystery of the gospel. And so Paul had the same flesh we have, filled with fear and cowardice. That's our flesh. It's just our flesh. It's our Bible calls it our old man, our old nature. It's filled with fear and confusion and cowardice. But the but the spirit of God in us, Bible says that. The old is gone, the new has come. That's what we need to walk in, the newness of his life. So you want to see the hand of the Lord. You want to feel less distance from the Lord. You want your uh, dried up spiritual feeling to be replaced by a stream of living water. Tell someone, tell someone's plural, tell people about Jesus. Someone at your work a family member, uh, uh, or a stranger, you will see the hand of the Lord and your joy will come right back. I promise you. If you go out and you do that in faith. And why, why am I able to say, by the way, that I promise you? Just because Jesus said it. He said it would happen. He said, you will see my hand as you go out into the world. Now, one thing, you'll see, uh, you'll witness the deaf hearing and the dumb uh, talking. And what do I mean by that? You will see people you never dreamed of take the time to listen to you and to talk about Jesus. And, 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 and they'll actually 
talk with you and actually be interested. And they will talk to you about, about Jesus. And in your heart, you will be thinking, I can't believe what's going on is going on. And listen, you will see the hand of God in many other ways, just incredible things, whatever, that, that, that God will do to confirm the work that he's doing in your life as you get out of this comfort zone. And yes, this room is a comfort zone. As you get out of it and you go out and you just do whatever the Lord has called you to do. I've been so amazed over the years. Just going out on witnessing teams or just at work or in my neighborhood or whatever with a neighbor or a family member, being able to see firsthand the power of God at work. If you're, by the way, interested, um, we are starting back up again, which we've been doing for years. Uh, This April, we'll be having a six-week training class on how to uh, share your faith. You'll be seeing a sign-up sheet for that soon. Just pray about it. But you will see the hand of God at work as you go out and you declare the good news. Listen, this was one of the things that Jesus himself uh, rejoiced in so much. In Luke 10, 21, it says, referring to the great salvation that Jesus has spoken to the people himself, it says, in that hour, Jesus rejoiced in the Spirit and said, I think, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and the prudent and revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in your sight. It says that he rejoiced. He was a man of sorrows, the Bible said. How could he not be when he's just uh, walking around on the, on the planet Earth on his father, in his father's backyard, seeing man created uh, f- to have this perfect relationship with God, all the, the misery that had been brought about by their own rebellion and sin. He was a man of sorrows, but he rejoiced in his spirit as he shared the great salvation. So, let's go way, way back. Why are you a Christian? Please, 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 there's only one answer. Because it is true. Because it is true. How do we know? Number one, the Word of God, the Bible. Number two, uh, God has confirmed it. He has borne witness to it with signs and wonders, with various miracles according to his will. Now let me close with this. You know, one of the wonderful things about a life with the Lord is that he has promised to be so involved with your life. So he doesn't only confirm his great salvation as we declare to others. He confirms his great salvation, the great salvation of our life, meaning he will prove to us his salvation of us through signs and wonders in our life, through the supernatural. I've said it this before. I'll say it again this morning. I don't know all of you really, really well. I know some of you really, really well. Others real well. Others well. Others not so well. I'd like to know all of you really, really well. But I know this about you. If you have given your life to Jesus Christ, I know something about you. And again, I'm not being Madam Steve this morning, uh, you know, fortune teller. Uh, But I know this about you. I know that the Lord has been intimately involved in your life. I know that if I sat down with you for an hour and I spent an hour going over the details of your life, extracting information uh, from you. I know uh, that if we went over the details of your life for the past 5, 10, 20, 30 years, I know that what you and I would see together is the almighty hand of El Shaddai, God Almighty, in your life. And we would see it over and over and over again. And so often we're blind to that. 
We had a ministry meeting last Saturday night, and I just took the time to share with our ministry team what happened in the last year, in the year 2008. So much <laughs> in our family here. And, it's, and people came up to me after, and, and, and they, were, they basically said, I was just so bl- blind to that. I'm I, so thankful that you just went through this list of just the hand of God. And, 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 you know, that's why I keep a prayer journal, because I forget, I write down every time God moves in my life in such a way that's undeniably Him, in ways that cannot be explained in the natural. And I just reflect, and brothers and sisters, you, you sh- if you don't have a devotion time, you should start one. And if you don't have one every day, you should start one every day. And part of what you need to do every day is you just need to reflect, just take a few minutes to reflect as you're getting into the Word of God, how He saved you. Now, I reflect on how He saved me, how I grew up in a town west here of the city, a town so far from the things of God in a family that knew nothing about the gospel, nothing about the truth, only just little glimpses from the fringe that I happened to pick up from time to time. That was my youth. And just, you know, leaving this place as a child and then being born again and saved by the Lord and being raised up and then having the whole Red Sea experience of uh, he worked in Stephanie in my life as he parted the sea and brought us back up here. And how the church was started, his, his hand ever so clear and how he's been so faithful to raise my family. The clear, undeniable hand of God. God is so involved, has promised to be so involved in your life. If you're willing to follow Him, if you're willing to get out of the comfort zone and be the man or woman that God has, has, uh, uh, has called you to be, He can't put His hand on something else. He can't put His hand on a life and be supporting a life that's li- being lived in disobedience to Him when the life is, is, is far from the life that He has called you to be. He can't do that. But He will even as you're in His will. And I look at my kids, my children. And, the, and, and you know, the one thing I must believe is that in the Bible confirms this, is that he will be faithful to do the same thing with them. You know, it's something that's very clear to me is that I can't force my kids to believe in God. Now, I know that the Bible is true. I know the word of God is true. But they're not going to walk with God unless God makes himself real to them. That's a hard thing for a parent to come to grasp it with, you want to control everything. But you can't control that. You, all you can do is you go into the prayer closet every night. But I know and I have a confidence. And I've already seen with my own children, God making himself real. No one's ever going to come to God or stay with God unless God is making himself real uh, in their lives. And God is faithful. He's faithful to do just that. Why are we Christians? Because it's true. Christianity, our faith, it's true. Let's pray. The worship team, come up. Father, I thank you, Lord, for this word, this great salvation at first spoken to by our Lord and then confirmed even down to us in the year 2009 by those who originally first heard him. And then you, Lord, bearing witness both in their lives as they declare it 2,000 years later in our lives, 
even as we live it and declare it ourselves. Father, I just pray for anyone this morning seeking someone interested in what all this thing is about. Lord, that you would reveal to them that you have purged their sins, that their sins stand in the face of you, almighty, holy God. Sin that must be judged, but you, Lord Jesus, purged, cleared away, wiped clean sin by your death on the cross. And you, Lord, reveal to them that you now stand at the door of their heart, knocking, waiting to come in with this great salvation. And Father, I just pray for boldness, Lord, for every man, woman, and child in this room, boldness, boldness to get out of their comfort zone, our comfort zone, and boldly declare you and boldly live. Father, teach us what it means when your son says to us, take up your cross and follow me, and what a joy that is. And teach us, Lord, what the abundant life is. Lord Jesus, you, you say in your word, you came to give life and give it more abundantly. Teach us, Lord Jesus, what that life is all about. I pray all this, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen. Okay, please rise. We're closing worship song. Just wanted to read over the, the chorus of the song. We're going to sing Mighty to Save, and the chorus just goes, Savior, he can move the mountains. My God is mighty to save. Forever, author of salvation, he rose and conquered the grave. Uh, Jesus 